I'd like to uh, begin this morning with just a, a very short word of testimony. I think Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 probably characterizes what God has done in my life. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And that verse uh, means more and more to me every year. I became a Christian in 1956, June 10th. I have just uh, celebrated my 21st birthday, spiritual birthday. And one of the privileges was for me to be in Memphis, Tennessee, where I was in the Navy. At that time, I was there uh, in June uh, at the same time, 21 years later, to visit with my spiritual grandmother, the uh, lady who led the fellow to Christ, who led me to Christ. And we got to stay with her. She's 69 years old and has prayed for me over the years and spent that time together. But it was 21 years ago that uh, this Iowa farm boy went off into the Navy and uh, about eight months later came in contact with a couple of men in the service whose lives so impressed me that I realized they had something I didn't have. And after several months of searching and trying to find out, I realized that it was all involved in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, one night, uh, I gave my life to Christ. And even though I'd believed in him all my life, I don't ever remember not believing in Christ. But that night, I asked him to come into my life and take over and be my Savior. And it's been a fantastic 21 years. It's really been a great time. And the reason I just take a couple of minutes to share that, because having been to conferences over the years and having been here, I'm quite sure that probably right here in this room that there are some who have never really made that clear step. And uh, this week, that's what this would be all about for you, would be to make sure it would just be so tragic to leave this place and not have that one thing nailed down. That uh, if never again I have an opportunity, boy, this week I gave my life to Christ. Do that. If there's any question in your heart and soul, you know, get together with someone. See me. I'd love to sit down and chat with you. That's the beginning. And now, this morning, I get to speak on the most important topic we'll have all week. Very nice to have Dr. Adams along, but uh, I'm glad <laughs> that I get to speak on the most important topic we're going to have all week long. The quiet time. This is a topic that's most important. Now, I figured there are probably two classes of people here. There are those who, uh, f- regarding the quiet time, it's new for you. It's, um, you know, when I say quiet time, you know, you've got questions in your mind. I wonder what he's going to talk about. And then there are some of you, oh, yeah, that old quiet time. Those navigators always preach about that old quiet time. Let me see how many of you would consider yourself in that first class. I'm kind of interested in finding out what this quiet time stuff's all about. Would you be so bold and so daring as to raise your hand? My goodness, we got a bunch of pros here. Saints. How many are in the second class? How many of you don't know where in the world you are? <laughs> Let me see. Maybe I better start with that evangelistic message all over again, Jim, and then we'll work, work on from there. Well, if you've been going in the quiet time for a while, uh, I got a verse for you. It's in 2 Peter 1. <laughs> Second Peter 1, that first chapter, starting with about verse 12, Peter writes and he says, Therefore, I intend always 
to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to arouse you by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And I will see to it that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. First, Second Peter 1, verses 12 through 15. It's on that section of godliness, which I think you're going to be looking at along the way in devotions. If I was here speaking this week, every day, I would be talking somewhere along the line about the quiet time every day. I am more and more convinced in walking with Christ for 21 years that that's what the Christian life is all about. Learning to walk with Jesus and then just keep walking with him. And I, over the years, have unfortunately met many Christians who have never learned how to walk with Jesus Christ. Never learned how to walk with Jesus Christ. Some who have learned how, got discouraged, given up. And I trust that today, as we spend some time looking about this walk with Christ, and in particular the quiet time, that the Holy Spirit of God will minister to your heart and just make this new and alive to you. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Remember, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. If the Holy Spirit, through his servant Peter, can cover things and review things that have already been covered, then I think I can take that liberty too. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, starting with verse 29. And immediately he, this is Jesus, and we're having a little insight into the kind of life he led. He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. And immediately they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she served them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered together about the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning... A great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him followed him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. A busy, very busy time in the life of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. People all about him. Those who were very close, like Peter's mother-in-law, whom Jesus ministered to. Later on in the day, all who were sick or possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered together about the door. And I imagine that Jesus Christ 
was really looking forward to a nice sleep in the next morning. But that's not his style of living. Because verse 35 says, In the morning a great while before day, he arose, and he went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And it's interesting to me in this particular portion that as his men come to him and feel the pressure of these crowds, Jesus has a very clear perspective as to what their next move is. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That is why I came out. You're ready to live when you know who you are and why you're here and where you're going. And Jesus knew that. But in the midst of the pressures that were put upon him, he realized that it was very important that he withdraw and take some time, communion with his father, in order to keep those priorities established. Waldron Scott, years ago, I remember him saying, life seems to be a matter of establishing and maintaining priorities. And that's true. And one of the great benefits in what we call the quiet time is just that. Withdrawing, taking time to see things from God's viewpoint. And here we have the example of Jesus Christ himself. Turn on over again in Mark, just a little farther, into Mark chapter 9. And we have another view of one of Jesus' quiet times. This time, he lets a couple of his men go with him. This is in Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. Mark 9, verse 2. Notice, a high mountain apart by themselves. Remember, Mark 1.35 said, a lonely place. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments became glistening, intensely white, as no fuller on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were exceedingly afraid. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man should have risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is the account of Jesus' transfiguration. Again, a time when he departs and he takes these three men with him. And here on this high mountain, they meet with God. And also is there Elijah with Moses. And Jesus has a discourse with these men. 
And Peter and James and John are sitting there watching this whole affair. And finally, Peter, finally, Peter says, somebody's got to say something. And the biggest thing he could come up with was, let's, let's get some monuments going here. Let's erect three booths, you know, one for, you know, we'll, we'll get them. We'll get one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We've got to do something. And was rather sharply rebuked from out of heaven. Saying, you got two ears, Peter. Spend more time listening than you do talking. Two ears, one tongue. You listen twice as much as you speak. They listen. But notice that when they came down, these men, they had questions. And they wanted to know something. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Perspective again. What's happening in the sequence of events here? These men wanted to know, Jesus, what is taking place? Where does this fit in? You see, they were motivated. And he said to them, Elijah does come first. They got some answers. But then he puts another question to them. How is it written of the Son of Men that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? The point I'm getting here is that one of the things, again, that happens in a quiet time is perspective. 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 Withdrawing and spending time alone with God gives perspective. You you can see where things, day-by-day activities, fit in. And it's so necessary in the Christian life. Perspective. Priorities. Where are we going? Now, we could go on back into the Old Testament and we could see with Moses how he spent time with God. We could see with Daniel, chapter 6. We could see David. David, as you know, is that man who, in the book of Acts, has the testimony. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Acts 13.22. That's the testimony that David has. And we can go back into Psalm 27, where 4, where David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. This is only one thing I want from God. There's only one thing, and I'm going to put some effort to get it. That I may dwell in the house all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. It's the only thing I want out of life is God. God. It's all I want out of life is God. Have you ever come to that point? All I want out of life is God. That's all I want. It's God. If you don't have that, let me challenge you on the basis of Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will, to give you that desire, and to do, help you make it come to pass, of his good pleasure. And you know, I have to confess that over the years... I've had to get before God and I've said, God, my heart just seems cluttered with many things, worries, concerns. And I'm afraid you've just been choked out. Rekindle that heart of love for you. And God graciously does it. God graciously does it. But to have that heart for God, like David had. Paul had it. You know that good verse in Philippians 3 where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable. 
Philippians 3.10. Well, I want to get into some practical things about the quiet time. And again, I, this is a review. A quiet time. You know, some of you say, what in the world really is it? Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, it's just merely a matter of time withdrawing and getting alone with God. That's what it's all about. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. That's what it's all about. You know, it's interesting living out of your country. You, you get a dimension uh, of, of life. Uh, there's sort of a dimension of life that is opened that you, you don't quite get staying within your own country. You see things a little differently. And one of the things that uh, as, as I've gotten out of the United States for the last four years, uh, it's helped me to realize how, how much uh, as Americans we're activists, we're doers. We're doers. We, we, more, we are more concerned with the results than we are the process, the process. We're more interested in the product and the results than we are many times the process. It's one of the things that's made our country so great. I mean, we can turn it out. It's a fantastic asset. But at the same time, we want to be reminded there is a process also. And in the Christian life, God wants us to be, not only to do. And of course, you know that story in Luke 10, 41 and 42, where you have Martha and Mary, these two dear, dear women of God, Jesus visiting with them. And finally, in the midst of the preparations and all, Martha has been scurrying about trying to get things done. Mary's been sitting at his feet of Jesus. Jesus turns and says, Martha, Martha, you are, you are anxious. You're troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken from her. She's just being. She's just sitting. You're just hustling around here doing. Now somebody's got to do. That's right. But God also wants us to be. Some of you have heard me tell the story about the young couple got engaged. He was very handy with his work, with his hands. He was a good carpenter. And so after the engagement, why, uh, the girl found out that, uh, he, he wasn't available very much because here this guy was down in his little carpenter shop and, and he was making a, uh, he was making a real nice chest of drawers that he knew they could use. And he was making some other items of furniture. And she thought, well, fantastic. This is so good. And we need these things and it'll help. And he's so, so skillful with his hands. And so they got married. And she thought, well, now we'll spend more time together. But you know, as things go, it wasn't very long when she said, honey, I got good news for you. We're going to have addition to our family. And he said, that's fantastic. He was so delighted. Down into the carpentry shop. Because he was thinking, ah, oh, that little baby's going to need a bed. He's going to need another little place to store things. Going to need another little chest of drawers. And so he was busy night after night. Finally, one night she came down. She said, honey, she said, you know, you're terrific. You're so fantastic making all these things. She says, we need them and they're so great. But she said, and I appreciate it all. She said, but you know, I would really like to have you, not just what you do. That's kind of the way we are. You know, God like to say, whoop, stop, wait, halt. Can I spend a little time with you? Sorry, God, schedule's full. No, you know, we laugh and we chuckle. 
But that's the truth. You know, I get around Christians who are so busy, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, and uh, so I don't want to get too far gone on it right now. But I got, you know, some Christian gets so busy, God can't break in and answer prayer. They don't have time. They don't have time for God to answer any prayers. Boy, God, give me a man, give me a woman, give me somebody that I can help. You don't have time. When would you do it? I mean, you're running off. You're busy every night. You're busy on the weekends. You're tearing off over here. When would you do it? See? That's the same way with the quiet time. I say, I like to spend a little time with you. That's what I like about that James 4, where it says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. What God is saying is your move. It's your move. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now, I've told you, now it's your move. Will you draw near to me? That's what the quiet time is. And the amazing thing about it is, one of the most motivating verses in the whole Bible to me on this is in John 4, where Jesus is having this discourse, or this talk, with this lady we know at the well. And she's wondering where in the world should they worship. She's trying to get him off tangent, off on a tangent. And she says, well, you gotta be at the right place to worship God. To spend time with God, you gotta be at the right place. And Jesus says, in verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He said, lady, the time's coming when it doesn't make up. Hell of beans, where are you going to go to get with God? Most beautiful cathedral are going off on real nice Razorback. Doesn't make a bit of difference. That's what that hill over there is called, Razorback. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. It's now. It's now. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God says, I, I, I'm looking for people who will worship me. And do you know, in, in this room today, God is saying that to each one of us individually. I seek your worship. Will you come and worship with me? And if you don't give it to God, if you don't give that worship to God, nobody else can. Nobody else can. You have something that only you can give to God. Do you know that? You're the only one in the whole universe that can give to God your worship and praise. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God seeks our worship. And I trust that will motivate you Morning by morning to, to, to get up and as you take that time, depart to a lonely place or when you get time alone with God, say, here I come, God, to give you something. Now, it's true we get in a quiet time. We do receive. And I'll be mentioning some of the things of what we get in a minute. But even if we got nothing, it's our privilege to give to God what only we can give. Worship. The praise of our lips. That verbalizing that you read so much about in the Psalms. Let me just review a little bit of some of the essentials of a quiet time. Just again, one of them you know is the word and prayer. Because it's in the word of God that God speaks to us. 
It's in prayer that we speak to God. Andrew Murray, great saint, has this quote. He said, little of the word with a little prayer is death to the spiritual life. Much of the word with little prayer gives us sickly life. Much prayer with little of the word gives more life, but without steadfastness. A full measure of the word and prayer each day gives a healthy and powerful life. Do you get that? Much of the word and much of the prayer each day gives a healthy and powerful life. Another essential, not only the word and prayer, but of course is a time and a place. We read about that in the life of Jesus. That early morning, I feel is best. It's not the only time. Many of you housewives and mothers already know that that early morning is is virtually impossible and you've got to wait a little bit before you can draw get aside with the Lord. But I found out in that early morning that the way you get up is by going down. That's simple. You get up by going down. That's the night before. Psalm 127.2 says it is vain to sit up late to rise up early. Vain, foolish, stupid, dumb. That makes sense. Won't work. Psalm 127.2. That's what God said. You know one of the most practical little helps I found on being able to get to bed at night so I can get up the next morning to meet with God? I found out that people... I won't see many of you for four years, so I can safely tell us. But if you're out someplace at night and you want to get away, tell people, you know, uh, we've got to leave a little early because i got an appointment that starts early tomorrow morning. i got an appointment tomorrow morning. It's amazing. You know, people respect appointments. You don't have to tell them with whom. You know, if if you're inviting somebody over to your house and you know that the man has got to get up very early the next morning to catch a flight. It's almost rude of you to insist upon their staying late and making that man miss the sleep so he gets up the next morning and can barely get to the airport to get his flight, right? It's rude. People respect appointments. So you just say, I got an appointment tomorrow morning uh, and I got to get up early. So if you'll excuse us, we need to head home. And I find people respect that. I learned that in jogging. I usually jog in the mornings during most of the year, but in the winter, I, I move to the late afternoons, and I have the hardest time being consistent late afternoon because there's always something that comes up around 4.30, 5 o'clock when I want to do it. So I found out, ah, the way I do it now, I say, I'm sorry, I like to keep talking, but I've got an appointment at 5. And people say, okay, we'll finish up here in the next few minutes. I do, i got an appointment. It's important. It's a priority. Because I've found over the last 10 years that I've got to keep myself physically fit. And people acknowledge appointments. I'll tell you another little clue. There's some pastors here. You know, if some of you want to get, get together with your pastor and he's busy, you, you know another way to get together. You know why you get together with your pastor? All you pastors, just close your ears. Don't pay attention to this. Go to your pastor and say, hey, would it be possible I'd like to get together and pray with you sometime? Pastor can't turn down somebody wanting to get together and pray with him. Just can't do it. There's something about it that seems so unchristian. 
and get together and pray. Yeah, do pray. You know, it's like somebody saying, uh, hey, have you got uh, 15 minutes? I'd like to chat with you. Well, uh, and you look at your priorities. No, I really don't. But somebody comes up and says, hey, uh, could we go walk and pray? <laughs> you know, how do you tell somebody, no, I don't have time to pray with you? <laughs> a time and a place. A little plan. Some of you... Most of you are probably familiar with this seven minutes with God. It's a little booklet. You can pick it up in the book nook. Get it. A little time of opening prayer. Reading your Bible. How many of you use a reading chart in your in your quiet time? You have a, a, a reading chart that you read from. Let's see your hands. How many have tried and thrown them away? Let me give you a couple of ideas of what I do. For 20 years, I've used a reading chart. I've tried several different ones, and I find that my tendency is that I become a slave to the chart. And I find that that I, I, I have my quiet time, and I've got to get through that reading. Here it is in the Old Testament. Here it is in the New Testament. And many times, that's all I end up doing is getting through my reading and making a check. I got nothing. I didn't even meet with God. You know, God, where are you? And what I found out is that I, first of all, went from a daily to a weekly uh, goal on that reading program. And now I've gone to a monthly. That is, I still have my reading program because I do want to read through the Bible systematically year after year, and I find the best time to do it for me is my quiet time. But I also find that there are some times when I want to be reading elsewhere in the Scriptures with my quiet time. But that doesn't bother me. Because what I do, let's say maybe I've been out of the Gospels for a little bit, and I want to get back into the Gospels for my quiet time. I just want to walk with Jesus for a little while. And so I discard Leviticus. And I go to Mark. Well, wait a minute. I don't want to throw Leviticus out that year. Well, then I just sit down some Sunday afternoon, a couple Sunday afternoons, and I read through Leviticus. It's on a weekly or it's a monthly goal. And I'm not chained to it that I've got to read it this day. And that might be of help to some of you. If you have more questions, why, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. Because, you see, it's, it's not quantity we want. We're after quality. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is little with a fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better to have a good five minutes and really meet with God than 50 minutes and wonder what happened. And then, of course, we read the scriptures and we meditate. What does it say? What does it say to me? Most of the time you get the answer to the second question when you get a good answer to the first. When you find out what does this scripture say, then usually, what does it say to me is very obvious. No no problems. We'd say in Australia, no worries, mate, no worries. George Fouché down in uh, Wichita has helped. He, he says, you know, he says, you want to put your specs on when you read the Bible. And he uses S-P-E-C-S. He says, is there a sin there? I'm looking. Is there a sin here for me to forsake? Is there a promise for me to claim? Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there a stumbling block for me to avoid? S-P-E-C-S. Put your specs on as you read the word. A sin to forsake. A promise to claim. Is there an example here for me to follow? Is there a command here for me to obey? Is there a stumbling block for me to avoid? How many of you here have used the, the devotional diary? Are you familiar with that? I see a number of you have. I find usually two classes of people with a devotional diary. There are those who love it, and there are those who say, oh, 
And the reason I say that is, is if you really love it, don't think that everybody does. And if you are not too tuned to it, don't think that everybody isn't. It's a real help. Some people just love to have that. But let me encourage you to have a little notebook and write some things down what God gives you day by day. And then, of course, we pray in it. We have a time of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Prayer pages. How many use prayer pages? Let's see. Let me see. How many don't know what I'm talking about? Thank you, JV. <laughs> you know, I find a prayer page, what I refer to as a T-square, of just taking a page and putting a line down the center and then putting a line at the cross so you have a T and putting on one side request and the other side answers one of the most helpful ways to teach people to pray and to help me in my prayer life. We had a little group down in Sydney. Oops. Tells me I'm about through. And uh, this group was kind of stumbling along. I was in charge of the Bible study discussion groups. And uh, so I worked up some stuff for prayer for them. And I went over in the first night. They'd been on some other material and helped them on this night with prayer. And I suggested this. I said, why don't you get a T-square? Why don't you do this? And I explained it to them. And I said, now, when you put down request, be specific and try to find out, put something down so that next week we can find out whether or not we got an answer. So if you're if you want your neighbor to come to Christ, great. Pray with all fervency. But have you ever talked to him about spiritual things? No. All right. Step one. Lord, in some way, work it out this week that I can talk to my neighbor about spiritual things. It may just be about church. It may just be about God. It just may be just just a little bit. But it's better than having done nothing for all these months. See, it's a step. So they did this, and they put them down. And do you know that little bunch became alive? They went from 12 to 15 to 18 to 20. Because they were doing this every week, they'd come together, and then they'd share their answers to prayer. And they were getting turned on because they were seeing God work. God was doing something. And some of them were experiencing answers to prayer that they'd never in all their life realized. I've seen it work with, with a Bible study group we've had in Wichita these last several months. Same thing. We introduced the same thing. And they just start becoming alive because week by week, and they come back and they say, did you get an answer for that prayer? And, and how, how did, what did God do about so-and-so? Use the prayer page. Sometimes, and this has been my experience over the last six months, I find that I have a very difficult time with prayer. I I have... I can't explain it except to say I do not want to pray. I can't pray. And there are several things that I do when I run into that time. One of them I say, God, I can't pray. Help me. you got to start where you are, not where you want to be. So I say, God, help me. I can't pray. Other times, I take the epistles. And I'll just start reading and praying the epistles. I'll take something like in Timothy or I'll take Colossians 3 or Ephesians 6 and I'll just start praying that. And God will bring people to my attention. Oh yes, Lord, that's what, that's what Franklin needs. Give him that kind of wisdom. Oh yeah, thank you, Lord, that you've done this. And, and I, I find at times that I, I just have to have my Bible because I can't even pray unless I just start reading the scripture. 
And that many times revives my time. Well, we've been talking about essentials of quiet time. Let me give you the fourth one. I've talked about the word and prayer, a time and place, a plan. And the fourth, do it daily. Do it daily. We got a hard-nosed, driving Aussie who God used to start the Navigator work down in Australia. His name's Jack Griffin. And he has a very simple standard for the quiet time. Seven out of seven. Fourteen out of fourteen. Twenty-eight out of twenty-eight. Fifty-six out of fifty-six. Very simple. You just don't miss. You know, then you don't have to worry about it. How's your quiet time? You work on quality, see? Do it daily. And what happens? Well, you become more like Christ. You become more like Christ. Is that beautiful verse, which so many of you know, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and in, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jack Griffin says, Yard by yard, it can be hard, but inch by inch, it's a cinch. <laughs> you like that? Yard by yard, it can be hard, but inch by inch, it's a cinch. Day by day, we get alone together with God, and we're not even aware of it. But we start changing and become more like himself. That's what Galatians 6 tells us, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I can understand that verse. I come from a farm. And when we plant corn, we don't expect wheat. You know, we don't expect wheat. We know we get what we sow. You take time to be with God, draw near to God, and what happens? He will draw near to you. It's that simple. I got a letter from a guy that we got going in a quiet time, in a little group. Let me read it. He says, since commencing the group, this was down in Sydney, we have learnt 19 verses and tomorrow will be a tough morning as we propose to review at random and seek to be word perfect. Quiet time has been continuous and I have managed seven out of seven each week. However, I must confess that over the past week, I have found it increasingly difficult to be as regular with respect to the actual time slot. The pressure of work has decreased to some extent with Christmas approaching, and I think we are all feeling the end of the year tiredness that comes as a result. He says, Chuck, I really appreciate the time you were able to share with us, and I wish to thank you for the encouragement that you have been to me in my Christian life. In many ways, I have had a most difficult year within myself, and the Lord has used you to bring me back to priorities and purpose in life. Priorities and purpose in life. And we majored on the quiet time and scripture memory. The memorization of scripture has been a good discipline. And I find myself memorizing and reviewing in various places and times. Uh, petrol, that's gas, is still short. Often a 5 a.m. queue, that's a lineup, for a 6 a.m. petrol, uh, a gas sale. A tremendous hour to sit in a car and review verses. At gas shortage, so they got to sit in line for an hour to get gas, and he reviews verses. He says the hour is not too long to wait for gas or review while the children are having swimming lessons or on the cricket field when things are quiet. And if you've watched any cricket, it's really quiet a lot of times. You know, it just... <laughs> but this is a guy who has gotten going. You get 
The result, you become like Christ. We gain strength. I'm talking to member back in Mark about perspective. When God is small, your problems are big. When God is big, your problems are small. What makes a difference? When you take time to look at God. When you take time to look with God. We start walking with the Lord and then we're able to help others. Let me close with giving four hindrances to the quiet time. Bill, I'm almost through. As far as I know, there are four obstacles to the quiet time. One is ignorance. You don't know what it is. As a very simple solution, we just give information and then we do it. Jack Griffin, the man I mentioned, became a Christian in 1959, received no help. Two years later, he ran into a man, Bob Glockner, who was a former navigator on the Leighton Ford uh, Crusade team. And Leighton said, Jack, how's your quiet time? Jack said, my what? It's your quiet time. He said, I guess it's all right. I don't know what it is. So Bob explained to him what the quiet time is. Jack's been having one ever since. There are some people around like that. How's your quiet time? I don't know. What is it? So you just explain to him what it is. That's pretty easy one to solve. Ignorance. The second one is laziness. Just plain laziness. You know, in 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or of self-control. And he can give us that strength we need to just take that time to spend with him. The third one, and I think the biggest, is busyness. Busy, 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 busyness. Just plain busyness. And that's a matter of priorities. Whether or not in your heart you really have a priority that time spent with God is not nice, but indispensable. And it's it's a big thing of learning to say no to other things. It's a matter of selection and rejection. That's what priorities is all about. You say yes to something, no to something else. And usually you say yes to what is absolutely indispensable and no to good things. See, the devil's too smart. He knows he can't get this crowd in here to, to, to bite on sin. So he just brings nice little things along the way rather than letting you do the indispensable. You know, for years I used to tell people, learn to say no graciously. And I've quit that. That gracious bit is so super spiritual that nobody gets there. So now I just say, learn to say no. Just learn to say no. No, Try it. Try it. One, two, three. No. Try it again. No. You know, today, if you learn to say that, you can go to bed, get a good night's sleep, and get up with Jesus and have a wonderful time tomorrow. Do you know that? That word no, you know, just say it several times during the day. No. 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 Just just, just practice saying no. Because when you say no, I know I'm being negative. But when you're saying no, you're saying yes to something else. See? And you know, I have just about given up on early morning meetings. I know a lot of you do it. That's when you get man-to-man time. I know it's when you get in your Bible study groups. And I've almost given up on them. I don't think they're worth it. 
Invariably, it robs a person of his time with God. You ask people who, you know, you get together at 6 o'clock in the morning with your little group, or the guy in man-to-man say, what did you get out of your quiet time this morning? And you go, well, what? They don't get time with God. And I, I begin to think, my time with Jesus is far more valuable than getting together. And if you're a pastor, boy, if you haven't learned to say no, you've had it. It's a matter of selection and rejection. The fourth hindrance, I figure, is pride. And we just need humility for that. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Pride is, I don't need a quiet time. You know, I mean, it sounds good, but you haven't really convinced me. I know some people do it. It's kind of a nice little exercise, but no, I, I really don't need it. You know, I go to church once a week, and that's all I need. Well, that's very admirable. But you know, you eat seven days a week. You feed your body seven days a week. Why don't you feed your soul seven days a week? Okay. Well, we've overtime, Bill. My apologies. And we look forward to being around this week, getting acquainted with some of you and sharing some things. And I trust that God will take some of what we've shared this morning and be of help, even if it's just one thing. Okay, thank you.